This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. It's the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 224. My name is Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and cocktails and spirits. Well, we're still talking about Tales of the Cocktail 2017, and this is the sixth episode, and we have two more planned all about Tales of the Cocktail 2017. Today, we're going to talk to our friend Warren Bobro. We caught up with Warren at a pool party on the rooftop of Hotel Monteleone. I, I think someone who drinks whiskeys that are made with, with care and with love and with passion pretty much says it all. I think Warren's been our guest more than anyone else on the Bartender Journey podcast. It's always great to talk with him. Then we travel to Sweet Silencio, a great event put on by Silencio Mezcal every year at Tales of the Cocktail. And uh, we're here at Tales of the Cocktail. This is our fourth year here. It was in a new location this year. It was a courtyard that was really nice. And, and really hot. <laughs> Upstairs was set up sort of like a nightclub. It had some incredible uh, air conditioning. It was nice and cool and was serving some great cocktails. We'll hear about Miss Gal and also about what it takes to produce unique events like this. Another yearly event that's just awesome and just gets better every year is House of Elix. As you may know, Elix is Absolute's high-end uh, product. We'll talk with Jonas Tallinn, and I'm the CEO for Absolute Elix. House of Elix was also at a new location this year. When I first heard that they moved it, I was a little sad because in the past it was at this shop that makes gas lights. Yes, lights powered by natural gas, which are still used in New Orleans. Bevlo Gas and Electric Lights makes electric lights as well, and it's just a really cool space for an event. But the new location for House of Felix this year was spectacular. It was at Latrobe's on Royal, Royal Street that is. Uh, I guess I walked by this spot lots of times, but I've never been inside. It's used in as, as an event space now, and it's just gorgeous. I love how so many of these New Orleans venues look authentically old, and probably are, uh, but they're, you know, they're super clean and polished and modernized at the same time. They're just, what a beautiful spot that was. At uh, House of Elix, they serve drinks in these unbelievable copper uh, vessels. The, the first drink I was handed was the Silly Rabbit, and it was served in a life-sized copper rabbit. Must have weighed five pounds. It was delicious. So we'll make that our copper our cocktail of the week. Our, yeah, our copper cocktail. Uh, yeah, House of uh, Elix is made uh, in copper stills and uh they use a well we'll hear more about it later but uh there's a reason why they use all these copper vessels in there uh at this event so the silly rabbit was one and a half ounces of absolute elix half an ounce of sherry manzanella sherry half an ounce of pineapple cordial which uh we'll have to have a separate recipe for that we'll uh, we'll put that on the website uh, bartenderjourney.net on the posting goes with, the, with along with the show uh half an ounce of freshly squeezed pineapple juice quarter ounce freshly squeezed lime juice and two ounces of champagne it says shake all the ingredients in a cocktail shaker i suspect that's a mistake i think uh, you shake everything but the champagne then add the champagne to the shaker and then strain it into the copper rabbit over cubed ice and cap with crushed ice house of elix is by invitation only uh, later on i was given a seat at the main bar which is even tougher to get so that was a real special treat and by, behind the bar was alex cretina and my name is simone caporale yeah i had to let him say it himself because uh he can say it a lot better. It sounds a lot cooler when he says it. Uh, they're just the best bartenders in the world. They're formerly of the Artesian in London, which at Tales of the Cocktail this year was claimed world's best hotel bar. And also Alex Cretina was named world's best international bartender. Well deserved. Uh, you'll never see anybody more graceful, fun, entertaining, and talented behind any bar anywhere than these two guys. At the bar, while sitting at the bar, I was handed the cocktail menu, and it was just emojis. 
like smiley faces and whatever. Uh, printed on a card. No further explanation of what these might <laughs> what might be in your drink. I asked for the balloon, and I was handed a cocktail in a teacup with a helium balloon tied to the cup. Uh, the string was about five feet long, so the balloon was way up high, and it was really fun and unexpected and a delicious cocktail, by the way. So this kind of weird and experimental cre- creativity, this is what goes on at Tales, and, and it's prevalent in our industry right now. So uh, it's really fun to watch this kind of thing. There was also a copper train set that traveled around the full length of the main bar, which delivered drinks to lucky patrons who were seated there. Thinking outside the box may be an overused expression, but these guys are definitely doing that. The team was generous enough to share all the recipes of all the cocktails served at House of Elix, and uh, we'll have all nine of them for you on the bar- on bartenderjourney.net. That'll be on the posting that goes along with this show, number 224, but just because these are all great recipes, and plus I was provided with tons of great professional photos from the event, we'll put up an entire page dedicated to this at bartenderjourney.net slash Elix, E-L-Y-X. All right, so we always do a book of the week, and this week it's from our friend Warren Bobro. It's uh, his new book, The Craft Cocktail Compendium, Contemporary Interpretations and Inspired Twists on Time-Honored Classics. Another great book from Warren. It's broken up into nine sections, aperitifs, craft curatives, hot weather healers, cool weather cocktails, potent painkillers, digestives and after-dinner drinks, hangover helpers, notable nightcaps, and tipples for toasting. Another great book. I love his recipes, and we'll talk to Warren in a few minutes. Hey, we have two more episodes dedicated to Tales of the Cocktail 2017, so I hope you're subscribed to the show. And not sure what we're going to do after that. Two more episodes. We'll have to get some more stuff in the pipeline. Uh, But I guess I'll figure something out. Anyway, next time on this show, we'll talk to Alan Katz. And then after that, for our final Tales 2017 episode, it's Lou Bryson, author of Tasting Whiskey. This is a really fun chat. Don't want you to miss it. All right, let's head to the rooftop pool at Hotel Monteleone and talk to Warren Bobro. This is Warren Bobro, a.k.a. Cannabis Whisperer, Cocktail Whisperer. <laughs> um, yeah. A new book out. This is who I am. Yeah, a new book. And, uh, well, we, we've talked, uh, this is your fifth book, correct? Yeah, the, this we, is I my fifth book. I think we've talked about and, every single one. And there's going to be a sixth book. It's a rebranding of my second book, which is Whiskey Cocktails, for another whole environment within the bookstore selling that's world. my favorite book of yours thank you thank you that was the my favorite book. book well that that made me into a whiskey geek yeah <laughs> well how do you define yourself as a whiskey geek well, I mean, what, a, what makes someone a whiskey geek? i, I think someone who <laughs> drinks whiskeys that are made with with care and with love and with passion pretty much says it all and the first whiskeys that i tried that really said that was probably the hudson spirits whiskeys because they were doing something that no one really was doing and it kind of grabbed my attention to the point that i drove in my car an hour to get over an hour to get to their distillery and at that I saw that they were distilling in these tiny you know putting things in tiny little little buckets literally yeah, little, buckets little, to, barrels, to, yeah. little barrels to age and it was like no one was doing that in the industry and I thought yeah. that was that was really cool and it kind of opened up the doors for me and made me into a real nerd yeah it's a, it's a funny thing because they, well it, it's kind of a shortcut because to age whiskey a little quicker and, and to make a profit a little sooner Right. They'll, they'll use right. smaller barrels, but I, I, but I don't it doesn't think it's, necessarily but, make it a bad thing. You know, and I, you use a great. You start with a great product. You're going to end up with a great product. But you right. start with a product that you're not proud of. You're no matter what you do to it, it is never going to be great. Yeah, and the and the passion that goes into it well, is like course. this intangible thing that makes a huge difference. Well, <laughs> but and then what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve in that book, and certainly getting back to the fifth book is that I wanted to take whiskey as a medium for, for craft cocktails because it has more of an assertive flavor mm-hmm. and it doesn't get lost in the background. 
Right. Well, that's the thing. You want to taste all the ingredients that are in your cocktail, right? Well, you know, I, with, well ultimately, with, and, I, want to, I want to use fresh juices. I yeah. want to use cane sugar you know, mixers if at all possible. If not, I'm not going to use any sugar at all. I'm just going to let the, the spirits speak for themselves with mm. as little embellishment as possible. But when embellishment is needed, it's for balance, it's for depth, and it's for quality and character. You know what I love about your books, Warren? It's like a lot of other cocktail recipes, a lot of other books are like, okay, this, well, this is a variation on a Manhattan. This is a variation on a, you know, a, a sour. Like, your drinks are like, I don't know, this is, I don't know what this is. But, but Brian, <laughs> what, what, it, what it really is, is that I was, originally I was trained to be a saucier. So right. I have a real, yeah. I believe I have an attachment to flavor and I have an attachment to an ingredients. And I mm -hmm. want to take those ingredients and open up the door to the cocktail world because the cocktail world mimics the culinary world. It right. may not try to imitate, but it will try to mimic the culinary world. And if I could take culinary ingredients and raise the bar, so to speak, using yeah. the use of grilled juices and roasted flavors and caramelized flavors and vinegars and, and all sorts of, you know, techniques and, and, you know, not mumbo jumbo, but things that are from the past, things that were nostalgic, things that were used in the 1800s. You know, when I went to Moscow for the, uh, to teach at the Moscow Bar Show, cl classic example, the Russians are all into sweet drinks and I make my, right. made my drinks that were not sweet for them. And they were like, what is this? They didn't know what to do with it. And it was, and it was really exciting for me because it made me memorable. And the, I just bumped into a young guy on the street and he was from Moscow with all of his friends. His friends didn't speak English, he speaks perfect English, and he remembered my class. I taught a, a master class on rum at the Moscow Bar Show, which is really an what, honor. What was the class about? Uh, a master class on rum. On rum, At the okay. uh, Moscow yeah. Bar Show yeah. in 2015. F fantastic. Well, so I put those stories and those, those uh, occurrences into my books, and I try to create something that's interesting to read. Not just journalism, I mean, we're, I'm a journalist from day one, but I want to be able to create a story make a smile and hopefully make a great cocktail that uh, that becomes the new classic yeah it's fun and and I guess it, it's fun to try to reach out to the consumers too and to, to get them excited about it and I, I and I, I think your books are kind of um, they're kind of aimed that way right they, yeah, I would yeah. say they're aimed at consumers and enlightened bartenders yeah right the, I would say enlightened bartenders because most bartenders are, are working in the weeds and they're not getting out of their usual whiskey sour, gin and tonic, scotch and soda realm. And, and I would love to influence them, but at the end of the day, there's going to be cruise ship bartenders and there's going to be mixologists. And, and everything in between falls somewhere in between. So when I find that my books don't aim well at the cruise ship bartender, but it may aim really, really well at the guy who's who's sitting there in the uh, in the trenches and you know polishing his own glassware and doing his own bar back work, and that's how I started in the business. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to show that you know creativity is okay. You don't have to just make one drink to be okay. Yeah, and and you talk about creativity, and I love the way you like the, you mentioned the uh, the grill grilled fruit. Yeah, the grilled fruit is a fabulous Delicious. thing and it's seasonal and it, and it also and helps and it helps you become more effective from a business standpoint because I did own a small business, a fresh fresh pasta business down in Charleston. I was very uh, concerned with wasting money and if right. you, and grilled fruit is a great way of turning that those moldy fruits that you don't might not want to well, maybe not moldy but you know they're fruits that you may not yeah. want to serve on the plate yeah. or serve in a cocktail you can scrape the fruit away and put, add you know sugar and vinegar and make a shrub yeah and that's delicious and I taught you how to do that in my book bitters and shrub yep. syrup cocktails yep <laughs> the, the chef at the uh, private club where I bartend now um, he was making he had some strawberries mm -hmm. and he he likes um, 
did a vacuum seal with some nice. vinegar. Nice, nice. So he made and like he a shrub. Like, yeah. Right. He's like, well, here, well, he's like, Brian, if, here, if, taste if this. If he was the chef, it, he was probably doing it as a gastrique. That's a gastrique. It's not a shrub. Oh. Gastrique is I've the fruit and vinegar. Okay. Well, I trained as a saucier. Yeah. yeah. So I can tell you that, that what he's making is a gastrique. Okay. A shrub would have the added sugar. The gastrique and, would not, because okay. it would be a sweet dish, and, and you don't and have to use it in a cocktail. We'd add we some add water. We add, and, well, we would probably fill it out a little bit. It, it would be slightly different. It would make a, it sort would of be, a syrup or, slight, or a right, exactly. shrub. A isn't simple exactly, syrup. Yeah. A simple syrup. Yeah. But uh, he was like, here's this. I was like, oh, you're making a shrub. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, Do you have any leftover? I want to make a drink with that. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's marvelous with gin. And that's something yeah. that we talk about extensively in my uh, fifth book, The uh, uh -huh. Craft Cocktail Compendium. Yeah. And I use Bar Hill, which I love very, very much. They're from Vermont. Yeah, I know you, know, you love that from raw honey and gin. And I, I love their story. And they're evidently they're moving to Montpelier, moving the whole distillery, because that represents change and it represents growth and success. Good. And I love to see my friends become successful. Maybe someday I will. I, don't know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I tend to doubt it, but you know, who knows? <laughs> I might get so, lucky. So the so the latest book. Uh, the, tell us the name again. The Craft Cocktail Compendium. And it's um, just it's it's, it's, it's it's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Your local independent bookstore would love to sell you one. Yeah. Um, if you would like a signed copy, you can get in touch with the Bookworm Bookstore in Bernardsville, New Jersey. They're on the web. I think I'm not quite sure what their web address is, but you okay. can find that out. But they'll, right. uh, I can trot in there, sign your copy, and they'll send it to you anywhere in the United oh, nice. States or the world. Uh, so this is a maybe a little more broad focus book where uh, some yeah, of the others it is. have well, been it's more a specific. It's a compendium. So it gives cocktails from apothecary cocktails, whiskey cocktails, bitters and shrub syrup cocktails, and then I wrote some words to tie it all together. Mm -hmm. But there is no mention of cannabis cocktails in it, nor <laughs> is there any mention of it in the uh, you know in the entrance where it shows all my books. That's the only one that is missing. <laughs> so go figure. All right, cool. Well, always great to see you, my friend. It's great to be here and and uh, tell. The cocktail in New Orleans, 2017. We should mention where by we the, are. By we're, the pool. We're on a rooftop. Rooftop at pool Hotel at Monteleon. the There's a party going on by the pool. I don't it's even know who's throwing this party, but that's how it goes. It tells the cocktail. Cheers, man. Thanks, man. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Next is off to Sweet Silencio. Hi, I'm Fausto Zapata. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Mezcal Silencio. I'm here with wonderful Taryn Olsen, who runs everything. <laughs> and is actually one responsible for putting this she, event the together. behind the operation? She is, the, the whole brain, not <laughs> the entire or brain. The entire brain. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and Taryn, actually, I credit her for putting this amazing event together, single-handedly. Well, led the charge because there was a lot of... Uh, a lot you of know, work. cavalry are behind her. And uh, we're here at Tales of the Cocktail. This is our fourth year here. And what we're doing here today is uh, taking people on a journey through both our white bottle and our black bottle and uh, immersing them into both. I always like saying that we sell two things. We sell the juice and we sell the brand. Right. And this is a great way to experience both in its maximum splendor. It's it's great and, and the juice is delicious. I must say the the black bottle I enjoy very much. And uh, just tell us uh, quickly uh, the difference between the two, the two bottles. So the we launched originally with our white bottle, that is uh, Hoven, but it's really an ensemble of three agaves. Uh, you have uh, Espadín, and then you have two wild agaves, which are Tobasiche and Mexicano, and it is a beautiful blend, which is meant to be sipped or take a neat on the rocks. Right. Uh, it's like what we like calling our sipping mezcal that mixes beautifully. 
Our black bottle is a 100% Espadín, which is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful product. And it's at 43 ABV, and it was really balanced to beautifully round out a cocktail. Right. That's the kind of the, really, the way we built it. You built through. that for cocktails more than We sipping, built huh? it with a cocktail in mind, but it's a beautiful sipper. So we like saying, whereas a white bottle is a sipping mezcal that mixes beautifully, our black bottle is a mixing mezcal that sips beautifully. Okay. So just for anybody who doesn't know, um, let's talk about mezcal for a second and, and, and what it is and what the definition is and, and, um, and how, it's, how it's made. Like, you know, I mean, the, I, I, I just, people are blown away when I tell them, you know, an agave takes anywhere from five to, what, 12 years even to grow sometimes. Yeah, some even it's more. It's amazing. Some even more. Mezcal is the oldest distilled spirits of the Americas. Uh, mezcal is traditionally, the definition of mezcal traditionally is a distilled spirit from the agave plant. Right. So by that definition, a tequila is a mezcal. Right. The same way that is uh, any other agave distillate like sotol. So tequila is actually a subset of mezcal. Which, Completely. Um, As is sotol, bacanora, raicilla, and any other agave distillate that you find. But mezcal really started becoming its own category uh, or, or considered one in the last uh, 25, 30 years. And the beauty of it is in three aspects of it. One is the agave varietals. Depending on who you ask, there are about 200 species and subspecies of agave. Um, most mezcal is made out of uh, 35 species which are native to the region of Oaxaca. Right. So the first one is in so, the... So just like uh, there's different varieties of grapes, say, exactly. you know, Pinot Noir, Cabernet. That way you can think about it as mezcal being the, uh, the wine of spirits. Right. You know? So you have all these beautiful spirits and how you blend them and how you put them together. It's one of the aspects that makes, me mezcal, makes mezcal be mezcal. It's the flavors of the agave. Right. Much like you have your Merlot or your sure. Pinots or yeah. your Cabs. You have your Arroqueño, your Madrequiches, your Coyotes, Lumbres, Mexicanos, you name it. So but It's just so fascinating that it takes... They, there's some right over here, agave. <laughs> and, and they take you know years and years to grow. Not like wheat to make bourbon completely, or rye completely. that comes back every year. Or grapes but come it's, back uh, every year. I think in our world... Um, you know, the same way that maybe you'll have a, you know, 12-year-old single malt. Right. You're having a 12-year-old agave. You but know? It's, it's just, it's not aged in the cask. It's, no, it's, 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 it's aged, aged in the ground. In the ground, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, uh, but that's one of, the, one of the things that makes mezcal mezcal. The other thing is the process. It is roasted in underground pits for a period so of three to five days. it's roasted, whereas a tequila is... Tequila is steam-cooked in brick steams. ovens or large, large autoclaves. So that's, an, that's another... Difference between the factory, yes, and, by all means. Yeah. So, but when you roast it in underground pits, that's where it, that's where it acquires. Uh, what do you say, the, underground pits? Underground pits, yeah. and that's where it acquires a very distinct smoky flavor. Yeah. Now, how you roast it, how long you roast it, and the process of roasting will determine the level of smoke and the beauty of the mezcal. I mean, for mezcal so, to be a great mezcal, you have to balance three different things: the yeah. flavors of the agave, right. the balance of smoke, and the balance of ABV, the alcohol right. level. Sure. If you balance all three, you got a beautiful mezcal. If one stands out more than the other, you got a, dip, a disproportionate mezcal. Yeah. Yeah. And Just the other, like a, the other like is, a cocktail. And then the <laughs> other thing was very distinctive to mezcal is the region. Mezcal can traditionally be made via the nom, the, the denomination of origin, mm. can be made in nine different regions in Mexico. Right. But about 95% of it still comes from the state of Oaxaca. Is that right? Oh, and there okay. are about 35 species which are endemic to the state of Oaxaca, and that's what, uh, what uh, a lot of the mezcals you see out there from and, Oaxaca and, will use. And some grow 
wild and some are cultivated or correct well espadin agave yeah is kind of your answer to weber blue agave in the world of tequila okay that's a very resilient very noble plant and you can plan the production that's my last name by the way weber <laughs> there you go. Maybe my boss. Was this a trick question? <laughs> um, so the uh, the uh, the Espadina agave you can you can plant, you can produce, you can map out, you can plant it, much right. like you can do with the Weber Blue agave and tequila. Right. Uh, every other agave is wild agave, which is just that it grows in the wild. So. But is it literally impossible to cultivate these things? Or it's I mean, but nothing. Somebody. Imp- yeah, first of all, some, nothing's impossible. I was talking to somebody yesterday. He said. Yeah, all agave can be cultivated. Nah, no, no. Well, nah, I don't he know. That's not what I've heard, I'll challenge, but... I'll challenge him on that one. Yeah. It can't be. Agaves are very... Agaves have tempers. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> they just have tempers. Yeah. So if you, cu- if, you, if you try to cultivate a wild agave and you don't do it right, um, it'll not grow or it won't have sugar concentration. Right. Or it'll be a weak agave or lack flavor or something. That's why if, if anybody can, can uh, identify how to... Uh, a prox- uh, how to grow it you can't really cultivate but how to best grow it it'll be the native the people who are native to the regions yeah who were born doing that but another thing I find fascinating about agave uh, about uh, mezcal and, and tequila and agave is the fact that okay these things grow wild it takes 5, 7, yeah. 12 years to grow they must be quite valuable and they're out there in the wild like uh, anybody can just pick them up or well, that's a big problem that's a big problem a big problem is that with the boom in mezcal if there is not a sustainability factor behind the wild agave species yeah uh, species will begin to disappear yeah because uh, i mean sustainability is a term that's thrown around very loosely these days but sustainability is defined as you take one out you plant two more yeah it's that simple but yeah. if you're not really worried about that and all you care about, uh, like the gentleman that you just mentioned said, and you just take them out, then what you're risking is the survival of that particular species. Right. And I think that's a big problem because you can plan uh, the growth of espadine uh, to large capacity, but not the growth of wild agave. But, so there has to be sustainability around it, and there has to be a lot of care for it, and also a lot of uh, responsibility identifying which agave is right, which. Because you're, you're sustaining your own business. It's, I mean, It's just smart price. Just, look, it's, it's, it's what's right, but it's also it's, what's right for business. Yeah. And then you also have the, uh, the education factor. Education is very important, because a lot of people will just uh, grab an agave and uh, label it as something. How do you know you're really drinking Tobala? Yeah, yeah. Or you're really drinking Tobasiche? Oh, yeah. But I if never suddenly really there's a boom that. in Tobala, yeah. there's nothing to stop me from grabbing whatever yeah. and labeling as such and right, put it out there. Right, right. So all of that involves education, responsibility, and we're a lot into that. Fascinating. I, I, I just, those plants just fascinate me. I don't know. It's, it's so interesting. So, well, let's hear from you. Hello. And, uh, yeah, let's have you introduce yourself. Absolutely. I'm Taryn Olson, and I'm the events director for Mezcalo Silencio. What's it like putting on events like, you put on the <laughs> coolest events, I must oh, say. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of planning goes into this, I'm sure. I have to say, um, one of the things that is such a pleasure working with Silencio is the way that they let me go in so many different directions. <laughs> so like even today, we have like two sides of the coin that we're presenting, so I'm getting to present you know, a beautiful yeah, so white mezcaleria, and then also like almost a dark 
speakeasy, you know, mysterious it's, This zone. event's quite different from the last, the one you've done the last couple of years. Yeah, well, it, actually, historically, what was interesting is the first year, really what we were presenting was the white bottle, so the ensemble that Fausto was talking about. So we presented this beautiful massage suite. Everything was very white, Moroccan, you know, light and airy. And last year, we did a kind of a Storyville-themed speakeasy that was like basically a New Orleans brothel, which right. was really meant to represent the black bottle. And this year, okay. we got to do kind of both <laughs> sides. So we're, we're representing both of them in the same event. So. Nice. But, uh, I mean, you must plan this, what, six months out, oh, eight months, uh, I don't know. <laughs> Fausto will probably start talking to me yeah. about next year, yeah, tomorrow. next week, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but yes, this one honestly has been almost a year in the making. So nice. we are very excited. Oh, yeah, you're so lucky to have Torrance in the mix. Yes. He is We have ass. truly, truly, bad hands ass. down, the best team. Those guys all, it's a real team effort here. Like, everybody loaded in furniture, like, <laughs> batched cocktails together. It's real family. I tell, I tell Torrance every time I see him, he probably gets tired of hearing the story, but I'm like, that cocktail you made for me at Silencio <laughs> three years ago was oh, off nice. the charts. Like, and, and you come to these events and there's like, yeah. you drink a lot of cocktails and for yes. one is for you to remember one three years later, yes. it's just like. I want to shout out Marcos Teo, our, our mixologist who has, who has worked really tirelessly to do a very good job and and all of the ambassadors like really pitch in and put a lot of love into the batching of those cocktails. It's something that we were actually talking about, how difficult it is to batch cocktails in volume and have it be yeah. something memorable and that people really yeah. like. And it's, it's funny tough. about batching cocktails because they're, it's like the proportions don't Very add up tricky. exactly the same way. Oh yeah, if Marcus were here, he would be grabbing the microphone from me saying, citrus expands, it expands. And it does, and the, it really and does. the bitters, uh, if you use bitters, like I forget if you have to use more or less. I think oh, less. Oh, yeah. If that's always true. You're counting shakes at that point. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah it's a funny thing. But yeah. it's, uh, it's amazing what you guys do. And, Thank and, you. Um, yeah. Here's to you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. I think I'm late for another interview because my phone's been ringing the entire time we're talking. <laughs> yeah, they're like, where are you? And now we travel to House of Elix. Great. Well, thank you for, uh, for meeting me here. I'm Jonas Tallinn, and I'm the CEO for Absolute Elix. And so, absolutely, Elix, let's, I guess I'm pronouncing it wrong. You no, pronounce I, it differently the, than I, I did. I say Elix. Yeah. However, I'm not being prescriptive. I've heard people say uh, Elix, Elix, Elixir. So I, I've heard them all. I but said Elix. Uh, <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, correct me one more time. Absolute Elix. Elix. Okay. Yeah. I'll say it that way from now on. All right. Great. <laughs> you always put on such a fabulous event here Thank at you. Tales. Thank you. The, uh, the House of Elix is... Yeah such a fun event new venue this year and it's gorgeous i've never been in here before no what is this place no yeah i'll tell you this i've never been here either my team they're they're always quite secretive they won't let me see things until they're done and they, <laughs> they want to give me the big reveal yeah so this is as new to you as it is to me but obviously being here for the fourth year now with absolute elix in new orleans which is maybe our favorite city in america given that it's home to so many iconic cocktails and cocktail culture. We always come down here and put in a really big effort. We really yeah. do because Great. we feel like it's worthwhile. Yeah, yeah, and you, yeah, you spoil us. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. So, it's, it's, what, what makes um, what makes this particular vodka so so special? Like, well, there, there are a couple of things. So, so the first thing I would mention is the single estate wheat. It's it's quite unheard of in the spirits industry that you source your wheat from only one single estate. Uh, and we've chosen Robolov Estate in southern Sweden, which has been producing wheat since the 1400s. It has the perfect terroir. So that, as the raw ingredient, is just a very, very special thing. And it does add a lot to the flavor profile of Absolute Elix. 
The second thing I would mention is the almost excessive or obsessive use of copper throughout the production process. Both in the rectification process, we use sacrificial copper packets to remove impurities, unwanted trace compounds, yeah, sulfur. What was that, packets? Sacrificial copper packets. So there are small copper packets that you can only use once that we put into uh, um, the actual stills to withdraw the unwanted trace compounds through a process called copper catalyzation. Now, so, uh, so how, how big is they're, this? They're, they're about, they're this. about a, a, an inch and a half uh, and they're cylinder shapes. They have hole punched through them so that we can maximize the flow of vodka and maximize the contact area that the vodka has with the copper. Okay. Uh, and what this does is is it, it removes the, the stuff that you don't want to have in there, right. but it leaves the good stuff in. So, so is, this, is this a unique process? It is, never it, heard is, of this. it is a unique process. I do not know. I think I can pretty confidently say that no other vodka producer uses sacrificial copper in the rectification hmm. process the way we do. Great name. And, and sacrificial, sacrificial copper. Sacrificial. Wow. The, the good thing about it, to take it to the end point, what it means is that when we produce absolute elix, we then take it through a 1921 copper still. And right. at the end of that process, we don't have to filter. Of course, we, we, we filter it through osmosis, meaning a paper filter, but almost every other vodka uses charcoal filtration. Some of them even brag that they do it several times. Right. As if it's a good thing to I remove know. all of the good stuff and all good flavors. All <laughs> of the flavor. Because then what you're left with is just water with a hit of alcohol. And I think the magic of Absolute right. Elix is that we keep the good stuff in and take the, the stuff that we don't want to have in there through copper. And that's why it has this luscious sort of mouthfeel. What's it um, distilled to before before uh, before adding water? Oh, 92% ABV or something like that. We'd okay. have to double check, but it's very yeah. very high. And then we the distillery actually sits on an on an uh, underground lake with uh, water that is several thousands of years old, hasn't been touched by civilization. Right. So that's the water that we just use, yeah. take it up, and then we use it to dilute it down to 42.3%. People often ask me, as a bartender, yeah. behind the bar, like, what makes this vodka special? And yeah. I'm like, water. I mean, it, half of what's in that bottle is water. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, it's so true. In our case, 57.7% of it is water, and it yeah. is incredibly important. Yeah. And if you start with... The, the way I would talk about water is this. If you have a really good water to start out, what that means is that you don't have to have any rough treatment methods so that you know you still have the softness of the water. Even if your original water source is not a great one, of course there are ways of getting the water clean. But the harsher you work with that water and treat that water, the more you lose of the softness. And I, I so therefore I completely agree with you. Some of my favorite vodkas, they all have a very good water source. Out. Yeah, and you mentioned mouthfeel. Excuse me. You mentioned mouthfeel, which did, is yeah. is, um, is really important and, and a little uh, mysterious, like yeah. how the, how that comes to yeah. be that you have yeah. a lush this luscious mouthfeel, yeah. which yeah. is yeah. which is a real thing, yeah. but it's a little yeah it's a little mysterious. Yeah, no, it is, and and obviously there's there's one or two secrets that we wouldn't reveal because then then anybody else could go off and make exactly <laughs> the same vodka that we do. But I would point to the water and the use of copper uh, as the most important reasons why you get this very silky feel when you're drinking the vodka. You hear about um, reflux a lot when you talk about distillation, and I, and I assume adding um, these copper, these sacrificial copper yeah. into the still yeah. encourages that, yeah? It encourages reflux? Does, or what is it, that... What it does, I'm not familiar with the term reflux, and that could be because yeah. English is only my second okay. language, but... <laughs> but well, what, when what, when the, in the still, the alcohol evaporates, and then it um, hits the top of the still. Oh, and then it goes back down. And then it goes back down. Yeah, correct, yes. Yeah. 
No, for sure. And, and but a lot of people in this part of the process, they have these 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 uh, uh, plates of copper. Right. But the addition of the sacrificial copper enables a process called copper catalyzation, which is when the vodka actually reacts and sucks into it the sulfur compounds. Once we've used the sacrificial copper packets, they turn green and black. It's really fascinating oh, to see them. I was going to ask and you what happens to them after they must. Be no, we we can yeah, reuse yeah, them. Yeah. Oh, you know, okay. we're we're very concerned. Being a Swedish company, we're very concerned about sustainability of the environment. So, so we can reuse them not as sacrificial copper packets, but you can create copper objects. You can create copper wire with them, and, and so okay. on. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's a, such a buzzword now. The sustainability issue. Yeah, it is. It is. And um, so, yeah. What what are you guys doing to? Well, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm. I think for us being Swedish, that sort of helps because. Swedish people were taught from when we were very, very, very young that nature is is a very, very important thing. Right. Uh, we have something in Sweden which is called every man's right. It's kind of like our First Amendment, if I was going to compare it to something in America. And mm. what every man's right means is any person can go and enjoy nature anywhere, so long as you're literally not just standing in front of someone's house or on someone's porch. You can pick fruit, you can pick mushrooms. Nature is there for everyone to enjoy. Mm. And given that sort of history and culture, nature is so important to Swedish people. Therefore, as a Swedish vodka maker, we do go above and beyond to make sure that we do not have any kind of environmental impact. We were the first and possibly still the only carbon neutral distillery in the world. Uh, that happened already three, four years ago. How do you uh, uh, how do you evaluate that? How do you how do you say that's that pretty, we're, it's it's pretty it's easy up, to measure to really? see to see what your emissions are. There's a tiny trace of emissions that that result from our use of electricity. Right. Because whenever we start up the distillery, there is some usage of electricity, obviously. Uh, and the way we offset that is simply by buying what's called green electricity, which means that we pay a little more, but then that carbon footprint gets um, equalized through the plantation of trees and forests around the world. So that the little impact that we still have after having taken all other measures that we can make, we offset in other parts of the world to make sure that we do not have any impact in making the vodka. And cool. and it's not something that you know we advertise about, but I think it makes everybody who works for the company feel feel that we're well, we're in a good I, place. I, I think you know, especially bartenders now, are they, you know we're trying to cut back our use of straws and yeah. paper napkins and things. But you know, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. That, you know, than just straws and napkins. You know, the the, the stuff that you're buying. Absolutely, you, you might. Know, you, you for sure. You might notice we're not using any plastic straws, right. for example. We, yeah. we we even prefer our our, uh, our copper, copper straws because they copper, can be used my, and used. My and drink's used. in a copper squirrel, by the way, which is gorgeous <laughs> and delicious. Yeah. Now that I've told you about the 1921 <laughs> copper still in the sacrificial copper packets, probably in, you realize there's no coincidence that we have all of these copper drinking vessels uh, serving, <laughs> serving the brand. Yeah, it's it's amazing. The um, this event is just I look forward to it every year and uh, and uh, it, I enjoy the product and uh, it's such a pleasure to meet you well thank you very much pleasure what's your to favorite you? way to drink vodka mine is <laughs> a very very dry martini so I like uh, to mix it not with regular vermouth but with Lille Blanc yeah. so I like my Elix martini stirred with Lille Blanc 10 to 1 with a discarded lemon twist I prefer not to have the fruit sitting in my cocktail but I do want that zest so that's how I drink mine Makes sense to me. All right. Cheers. <laughs> Such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Yeah, it was perfect. Okay.
Always lots of fun adventures, and I meet such interesting people at Tales of the Cocktail. Great, great time. If you can't make it to Tales of the Cocktail and you're looking for some online bartending education, uh, our, our friends over at Mixology Talk Podcast and the a Bar Above website, uh, Bar Above, <laughs> is uh, they do a great online course, and you can get a 20% discount with the code Bartender Journey with no space at uh, on their course. So go to a Bar Above and click on Mixology Certification. Enter the coupon code Bartender Journey with no space, and you'll get 20% off a great online course. It's a uh, very, very in-depth, and uh, there's a lot of stuff there. And you take a test at the end, and you get a certification. So well worth doing. Stand by for a toast. We do a toast every every time at the end of the show, and uh, we'll have that for you in just a minute. Hey, don't forget to uh, find me on Instagram at Bartender Journey, or subscribe to the Bartender. If you subscribe, like it, like the Facebook page. Uh, go over to Facebook and search for Bartender Journey and like that page. And what else? Uh, on Twitter, I'm Barkeep Tips which I don't use that much. Hey, if you're interested in podcasting, uh, there's a great new documentary out on iTunes, and it's just like $8 or so, uh, $8 or $9, I think. it was The, the pre-sale price was $5.99, but I think it's gone up now. Anyway, it's called The Messengers, and it's a documentary about podcasting, and it's kind of interesting and well done, so maybe you want to check that out. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, uh, I, have some, I have a kit that can help you out a bit, and uh, it's just $25, and there's a bunch of uh, PDFs and a slide, uh, slideshow and uh, some documents and uh, all kinds of material that can help you with podcasting so you can find that at bartenderjourney.net slash podcast course without a space and uh, just $25 for that thanks to those who went to iTunes and left us a review you can do that now right on your phone which is helpful and uh, we have one here from Rancid Mustard that's a weird name. <laughs> fun. He says, five stars, fun and educational. These guys keep it real and informative. As a new bartender, I really appreciate what they are doing. Thanks, Rancid Mustard. All right, here's our toast. A glass in the hand is worth two on the shelf. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast.